Hello, everyone, and welcome to the No Limit Jumper podcast. I'm your host, James Macy, a.k.a. J-Man. Uh, it's a very special episode. We're going to talk about my second favorite team, uh, the Boston Celtics. Um, Y'all know uh, that I'm a Hawks fan, sadly. I get I get that a lot. So you hide the laughs. Um, but for the first time ever, No Limit Jumper is sponsored by Excel Health. Um, we're very proud to announce that. So, uh more information will come on that. Uh, but first and foremost, man, um, Celtics are looking, looking decent. I'm not going to say they're, they're one of those teams where they're unstoppable. Um, I feel, let's start this off with uh, Jason Tatum. I feel like um, the Celtics can only go as far as Jason Tatum. What are your thoughts on that? I agree. I mean, that's just, if you look at the way that the team played throughout the season, as soon as Jason Tatum started heating up, you know, February, he was dropping, what, 30 points a game. The team looked unstoppable. And then when we came back, we faced uh, the Bucks, five points from Jason Tatum, and the team was not looking good. And then we came back, plays well again, and we start winning. So, I mean, I, I just feel like whichever way Jason Tatum is going, that's the way that we're going. Now, Aiden, think- you always seem to have a, a, a snippy take on the Celtics. So, let's hear from you. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I think I'm the lone person here who disagrees. Um, as much as I love mm. JT and he is the best player on our roster currently, I think for the Celtics to truly succeed and to reach our peak, we have to click as a group collectively. You know, we've seen in that Bucks game, even though Jason Tatum went one for 17 if we take away that tip-in, but Kemba Walker, he came out, he had damn near 20. He only played 18 minutes. Jalen Brown almost put up 25. Gordon Hayward almost had 20. You know, we can see every time a guy lacks, they have that capability to step up. Unfortunately, with Kemba Walker's minute restriction during the bubble, we weren't able to, uh, to snag out that game against Miami and against Milwaukee. So kind of now that I've seen that, I can kind of say Jason Tatum can have those one for 17 performances as long as Kemba can go 30 minutes, as long as JB can go 30, and as long as Gordon Hayward can give us at least 15. Okay, so I'll agree with you to a point. I think that that's true until we face a team like Milwaukee in a seven-game series, until we face a team like the Lakers in a seven-game series. You need a superstar to win championships. I mean, the last team that did it without one was, what, the Pistons? I mean, it just doesn't happen anymore. So – Yes, we can be a collective good unit, but we need JT to show up and be a superstar when it's superstar time. Absolutely. And I think, I think you hit it on uh, the nail on the, the nose, I guess you can say, with I guess our ceiling is as high as his ceiling is, but I still think that we could win a championship if we just have JT consistently dropping 20 versus having to need him to have those 35-point performances consistently. Okay. So Jason Tatum is interesting to me because I've been covering him a lot with uh, – my time at first sources and now my time with no limit jumper and I'm just seeing his progression and obviously uh the comparison is is Kobe Bryant I mean when I literally watched him play I was talking to Hunter uh off the record uh a a few weeks ago about this and every time I see him I get chills because I feel like I'm watching Kobe play every movement every time he creates space for himself the balls run through him religiously and we really are seeing this this season uh, with the offense really being run through him because of the whole Kyrie situation that got in the way and everything. And they are a better team without Kyrie. But I'm really nervous that 
the Celtics are relying a lot on Jason Tatum to be the best scorer, to be the best rebounder, to have the best IQ on the team outside of Kemba. It's just, it really just seems like if Jason Tatum has a bad game, the rest of the team has a bad game. And when, when Jason Tatum doesn't show up, then Kemba doesn't show up, then Jalen Brown doesn't show up. And we're seeing this with teams like Milwaukee, with teams like the Lakers. And honestly, what is, what is that X factor? What is, that, what is this team's X factor that's going to get them over that hump to be considered as a true championship contender? I mean, that's a good question, but I mean, you could ask that about, I mean, any team, what sets them apart? I mean, what makes the, what's the Bucks X factor? Giannis? Are you, is that what you're asking? Like, so no, I'm asking X factor is what's the motivation outside of Jason Tatum? When Jason Tatum's having a bad game, who do you, who do you go to? I mean, I mean, dude, listen, we're the only team in the league that has three 20 point scorers. I mean, Gordon Hayward, while, yeah, he's not having the total production that he had when he's at Utah. He's having the most efficient season of his entire career. Kemba, when he's not been injured this season, has been fantastic. The way that he's feeding these young guys, you know, hyping them up, getting them to play, being a leader that we haven't had, uh, you know, since like KG and Paul Pierce days. So, I mean, I just think our team as itself is an X factor. We have so many different guys that can turn up on any night. You've seen Gordon Hayward drop 30. You've seen Tatum drop 30. You've seen Jalen Brown drop 30. You've seen Kemba drop 30, 40. I mean, we just have so many people that can do so many things. And to the point of Jason Tatum being the only, you know, person that we have who can do anything, look at the other night. He went 7 for 11 in, in 18 minutes. So he had his production, but he barely played. And we still scored the most points that we've dropped in the last 28 years. So, I mean, that should just tell you something right there. Now, do you look at this bubble as – like, do you judge the Celtics seriously when you're going through this bubble? Or are you kind of just sitting back and waiting for the play-in tournament and the playoffs because people are under minutes restrictions? Every single game in this bubble is serious, regardless of who has minute restrictions or not, because – Everyone's been laid off for what has been four months, three or four months, something like that. These guys need to get their rhythm back. And especially the Celtics, who this starting five, this healthy starting five has only been together like 15 or 16 games the entire season. So there's that, and then they go four months, and now they're back and trying to get their legs under them for the playoffs. Every single game matters. Aiden, I see you twitching over there. What's going on, bro? No, so I was just kind of going to kind of hop on to the tail end of that where – kind of talking about the X factors. Now I understand we have our main four core guys with JB, Kemba, Gordon Hayward, and JT. I understand that. But in order for us to beat top teams like Milwaukee, like the Clippers, like hell, you can even say Dallas, you need to have bench production. You need to have guys like Daniel Tice, even though he's in our starting five, he needs to give us 10 and 10 a game. We need guys off the bench like Marcus Smart, who can't foul out in a game against Toronto, or I'm sorry, Miami. We need him to play 36 minutes. We need guys, our young guys off the bench, Romeo Langford, to look like what he's look like he knows what he's doing on defense. So for the Celtics to really succeed in this playoff run, we need to see the influx of youth talent like Romeo Langford. I guess Tice is more of a vet. Same thing with Smart, but we need those guys to elevate themselves to levels we haven't seen because in order to compete with Milwaukee's depth, and if we make it to the finals to compete with the Clippers' depth, we can't have those guys struggling like they have throughout the course of the season. That's our biggest weakness right there, our bench. Now, when it comes to uh, 
some question marks with the Celtics. It's always been um, their who they're going to have at the four and five, and who, who are, especially they lack they lack a, a big man presence. And what I want to get into is the whole I disagree Daniel Tice and uh, Ennis Cantor uh, tobacco. I think that the Celtics should really rely more on Ennis Cantor. I feel like he provides more offensively and defensively than Daniel Tice. I just don't. I don't. I just don't. I just see it running into a, a bit of a problem when you're having an undersized uh, big man like Daniel Tice. What do you guys think? I disagree wholeheartedly with that. Completely. Yeah, I'm. I'm with a hunter on this one. The way that the Celtics play is we can't have a five like an NS Cancer on the court at all times. It clogs the lane for guys like JB and JT to be able to isolate and take their guys to the hoop and draw fouls and to finish over defenders. Cantor is a paint clog. There's a reason why we can only play them in three, four minute spurts. Cause when we play them longer teams can key in on them. Our shooting starts to stop because we don't have the driving kicks that we is pretty much our whole offense right now. So having Cantor in, it really limits us, which is why we see Tice struggling so much because Tice now has to play 30, 35 minutes a game and his knees are starting to hurt. You can see him getting tired. So yeah, we may have Ennis off the bench, but he's really not even a factor on the squad anymore for the type of offense that Brad Stevens wants to play. And defensively, he is a liability. I would, I would never say he's better than Daniel Tice at defense. He is probably one of the worst big man defenders in the league. And that's, I love the guy. I really do. I love him. But man, watching him play defense is a struggle. Yeah. And at least like Daniel Tice will have effort and he'll have moments where he lapses, but at least he gives 150% every second he's he's on that court. He's solid all around. And if you watch the way that he moves in our offense, the screens that he sets underneath Mm -hmm. to allow Jason Tatum and JB to get those wide open layups, it's just... Nobody has done that for so long. It's just it's it's like an old, old style that he's bringing back, and I love it. Absolutely, I love Tice. One of my favorite players on the team. Absolutely, I like this guy. I really do. Good, good stuff, man. I really Daniel Tice, like I said, one of my like you said, one of your favorite players on Boston, one of my favorite players on Boston, and and if he can get that three pointer at the top of the key to fall consistently, that's when I think. That, honestly, is our X factor. Once Daniel Tice starts to knock down threes consistently is when teams have the inability to guard our starting five consistently. I am yelling at my team for him to shoot threes when he gets it at the top of the key and he's open. No, needless to say, I think they're making it work with the lineup they have. Brad Stevens is a terrific coach. I think they're all buying in this year, especially with the drama that happened a few seasons ago. Uh, My biggest question is, obviously – I hope I'm not alone when I say this. The only real competition, because I picked the Celtics to come out of the East, and that's, that's kind of a wild card. So I really just think that the Bucks are the only competition in the East. And I feel like Philly will be no competition whatsoever because th- their track record does not hold up against the Celtics. But who do you put on a guy like Giannis? And when we go to Phil- Philadelphia, who do you put on a guy like Embiid now? Or who do you put on those star players? So Giannis, I mean, Giannis is going to cause you issues no matter who you put on him. There's only, you know, there's like three guys in the league who can successfully defend Giannis, like maybe LeBron, Paul George, like Kawhi. I don't really see anybody else being able to stop. I mean, JB plays him well. Tatum plays him well enough. But there's just points where he's just going to go out and dominate. There's nothing you can do about that. 
Um, somebody like Joel Embiid, honestly, without Ben Simmons, which by the way, he's injured. I don't know if you guys saw that, uh, something going on with his knee. He could be out for like six weeks. So, um, yeah. So honestly, the Bucks aren't even the team I'm the most scared of. Team I'm the most scared of, this is the team that we're facing tonight. It's the Raptors. That's true. Yeah. Amen the Bucks, to that, man. The Bucks, honestly, I don't see the Bucks winning the East, whether the Celtics win or not. They have trouble against Miami, who they could see in the second round, I believe. I mean, big trouble. They went one and three against them this year. They almost lost to them uh, the other night without Jimmy Butler and without Goran Dragic. I just don't see the Bucks. I, I don't know. It's just a feeling I have. I don't see them coming out of the East, whether we win or not. I mean, I do think that we're going to come out if we get you know our team in the right space. But I don't know, man. I just don't think it's the Bucks. I think it's if anybody besides us, it's the Raptors. Truthfully, not to get off topic, but the Raptors have been surprising and uberly. I don't even know if that's a word, but uberly underrated this season. Um, I think. Um, Siakam is going to give you guys problems. I think uh, Laurie is going to give you guys problems. Even I even think Fred Van Vliet is going to give you guys problems. But I mean, he's problem. been playing significantly better than he normally does in the bubble. I mean, there's a few guys like TJ Warren that, that have just been playing, you know, out of their freaking skin in the bubble. And I just think it's going to continue. Some guys just play better without fans. But we match up pretty well with the Raptors. I mean – Larry versus Kemba is a good matchup. Siakam and Tatum is a good matchup. Van Vliet and, and Jalen is a good matchup. I mean, it's a really, really good matchup. I think that would be a six or seven game series. I would love to see that, but I, I, I am definitely worried about the Raptors for sure. And not even to mention the Raptors have OG Ananobi as well. They have a right. deep end, Serge Ibaka, Marcus Gasol, Terrence Davis, guys that they can come in on any given moment. I mean, yeah. even Matt Thomas, who's barely played this year, guy who's shooting, I'm pretty sure, 51% from three, 49% from three this year. I mean, they have one of the deepest teams in the league, one of the best defenses, one of the best offenses. Um, like you said, I think if anybody has the strongest chance to come out of the Eastern Conference right now, it's Toronto with the way that they've been clicking. I mean, they've take, uh, I mean they beat the Lakers mm-hmm. easily. With, with ease and there's one thing that they have that no other team in the league has right now and that's grit and determination I mean yes. you see a lot of other teams playing especially in the bubble it's kind of mundane iso ball mm-hmm. um, kind of teams are just asleep Toronto's out there you can tell that they want it you can tell they want to repeat and that's scary yeah they want to prove they want to prove that they can win without Kawhi Nick Nurse is a fantastic coach I mean just the way that he has led that team this season to the record that they've had even better than last year and looking like going into playoffs as they could be a true serious contender. I mean, it's something that nobody thought would happen. Everyone thought the Raptors were going to be garbage this year and they have been the opposite. I think the way OG Ananobi was guarding LeBron that night was amazing. I mean, obviously he, he couldn't stop him. Obviously he couldn't, he contained him really well. And it just scares me because if you throw OG Ananobi on Tatum, that could cause a lot of problems. I can see OG Ananobi shutting him down for a quarter or two. Fair okay. enough, but who's going who's gonna to then shut down Jalen Brown? Who's going to then shut down Kemba Walker? You know what I mean? Like, we have other avenues where we can attack. I mean, I think we're a good, we're a good matchup with the Raptors. I think we can beat them. I think, I Gordon, think, Hayward, I think Gordon Hayward needs to be uh, – needs to be more of a vocal point of the offense. I feel like we need to start seeing Utah Jazz Gordon Haywood. I feel like if, if, if he produces more, obviously you said this is the, his, his most efficient season. I don't doubt that for, for a second. 
but he needs to show up for this team. I mean, we, we see Jason Tatum produce. We see Jalen Brown. But I really need to see more out of Gordon Hayward. I feel like he, he, he does enough to get by, but he needs to go over that hump, like I said, and just be Utah Jazz Gordon Hayward. I will say I, this. Through the first three games of this bubble, and you'll see this tonight, this is the first time in two years or a year and a half that I can say I have seen Utah Jazz Gordon Hayward. The way that he was attacking the hoop against Miami and against um, – God, I'm blanking. But the way that he's been attacking the hoop over the last three games has been amazing. The way he's been finishing, hooping, his mid-range shot has been beautiful. Mm. We've been putting him in the pick and roll with Tice, a little bit with Cantor. I mean, the reason why Robert, uh, Robert Williams had 18 last night is because it was him and Gordon Hayward in the pick and roll. I mean, yep. we've been allowing his game to expand. And I think uh, Brad Stevens realized this um, over the break, which is why we've seen an increase in his touches and usage percentage. So I think as we transition into the playoffs, we're going to see a lot more aggressiveness because he's rolling right now. I don't think he's had a game where he's shot under 45% in the bubble. Uh, he shot uh, 57% against Miami the other night. So against one of the best defenses in the league, guarded really well. I mean, Bam was the primary defender on Gordon a majority of the night. They were switching off between him and Jay Crowder. So seeing him do that, I'm not really worried about him. I think that when we need him to step up, he's going to. Same thing with JB, same thing with Kemba, and same thing with JT. Yeah, I completely, uh, I completely agree with Aiden. I think the only way that you would really see uh, Hayward really go back to the Utah Jazz days in terms of production as if he played more on the bench unit where he's going to get even more touches. But starting, he's you know he, you're going to see a lot more the ball moving through him rather than it ending with him. And just to kind of go on a roundtable here, what is the biggest problem for the Celtics that you guys see? Bench, thousand percent. Interior defense. Interesting. Explain more. I want to know more. Um, our team defense is amazing. We're the fourth best defensive team with defensive rating and points allowed per game. We're, we're amazing perimeter defensively. My whole thing is, is when we play up against a team like Philadelphia, as we were saying with Joel Embiid and even an Anthony Davis, if we make the finals against LA, I'm not sure we have a way to stop them with guys like Giannis, with guys like Siakam, who are perimeter-oriented perimeter 6'10 point forwards, I'm not as worried because even if they post us up, they aren't really post players. But guys that are traditional high post guys like AD, like Joel Embiid, have a tendency to rip into the Celtics. Now, even though Joel has had his lax moments against Boston in the past, I don't see that happening this year because we don't have an Al Horford. We don't have an Amir Johnson. Like I said, our best paint defender is Daniel Tyson. Even still, he's more of a guy who's a rotational defender. You can't stick him on, like I said, a Joel Embiid, Anthony Davis, Carl Anthony Towns, an elite big. He's going to get eaten alive. He's not tall enough. He's not strong enough. He's quick. He's athletic, but he isn't burly enough. And Ennis Cantor, uh, barely a defender, you know. So that's my whole thing is, is our interior defense one-on-one -on -one is going to be weak. And in a seven-game series when we can guys can isolate a guy like Tice, a guy like Ojale, if we're going to more than likely put him on a big, guys like Cantor, I'm scared of that, unless we inevitably run his own. I, I agree that that's definitely a weakness of ours. I don't think it's our biggest weakness. I mean, if you look at how we played, uh, you know, AD this year, how we did against the Lakers, um, how we've done against other teams with big guys, you know, jazz and things like that. I don't really think we end up actually having a huge issue in terms of big man production from the other teams. Rather, if you look at our bench production that we've had all season long, and I mean all season long, it's been pathetic. No, absolutely. To the point, 
to the point where it's like, I, I mean, I was shocked that we didn't make any moves at, at the deadline. I mean, I don't, I don't think Wanamaker should be on the floor as much as he is. I really don't. I don't think that Ennis Cantor should be a focal point of the offense in the second unit because he is. He averages more points than pretty much everybody on that second unit um, besides Smart, but he was playing in the first unit for most of the year. Um, I mean, that's the only silver lining of our bench unit is that our best defender is there in, in, in Marcus. But I think the interior defense kind of feeds into that because, you know, we have nobody on our, on our bench who's, what, 6'10 or above who can defend besides maybe Robert Williams, but we don't have a big uh, – what's the word I'm looking for? We haven't seen enough from him to be able to make a conclusion whether or not he's a solid defender or not, especially against guys like AD and Embiid and people like that. So who do you guys think that – so should Robert Williams, I believe, should he be playing more than Enos Cantor at this point? Absolutely. And why isn't that happening? It, I, I think you saw a switch the other night. I think Brad is experimenting right now. And obviously, Robert Williams was injured for a, a good part of the season. Pretty significant injury. Um, a lot of people have issues coming back from. Um, I, I think that a lot of the issues that Brad has had with Robert Williams has been maturity and more mental stuff than the actual skill set because the dude is a freaking athletic freak. He's fantastic. I think that he's he could be great with if he actually buys into the system and pays attention and listens. And I think that he is, you saw it from the other night. Um, so I, I guess we'll see where it goes with him, but I do believe that he'll be pretty special if he uh, takes the time to actually put it in. Absolutely. I mean, we saw that going back at his time at Texas A&M where he had an issue with being engaged. I mean, he missed his, uh, his flight coming over to Boston after he got drafted. I mean, we've had issues. with I'm him. Lord. Exactly. We have issues with him in the past with character and being engaged. And you even saw that a little bit last season on the court when we would try to get him involved is he would come in and he would be, you know, dejected, upset that he wasn't getting minutes. But I think now being a second year guy, you can really see that step in maturity because even when he wasn't injured, he was getting decent about nine, 10, 11 minutes a game, you know, quality minutes, not fourth quarter minutes, second, third quarter runs. And he would really help out his plus minus is one of the best on the teams when he's in there. So I think you said, we saw last night he was really well. He had 18, didn't miss a shot. His mid-range was clicking. So we just have to piece those games together now and allow him to grow, which I think Brad is allowing him to do. You know, I'm looking at the standings right now, and I'm seeing now, – now I'm going back on what I said about the Bucks being the only team that uh, the Celtics are going to have trouble with because I'm seeing right now one through five – or no, one through six, rather – that the Celtics are going to have trouble with. Right now, they're going to be playing the Nets in the first round. I feel like the first round will be easy. The Nets jump the Sixers? Uh, the Sixers are sixth. We're, Celtics are third. So, uh, Nets are seventh. So. Yeah, so we would face the Sixers. Yeah, we, we would play the, the Sixers. Third, we would get the sixth seed. It'd be Toronto, uh, Toronto, Brooklyn, and then Milwaukee, Orlando. Yeah, But I would honestly, this is going to sound insane, I would rather play Philadelphia the first round than Brooklyn. Now, hear me out on this. I agree. Why I'm saying this is because I don't want us to play a borderline G League team. We will fall asleep. Jason Tatum will become an engaged. 
not Jalen Brown, but maybe a little bit of Kembo, maybe Marcus Smart a little bit. These, ta- these players have a tendency to disengage, especially in the playoffs. I mean, we saw that that run uh, with Kyrie, the last run with Kyrie Irving. We had an easy first round. We got Milwaukee round two, and we couldn't snap out of it. We thought we were – I almost said a word I couldn't, but we thought we were hot stuff, and <laughs> we can't do that. We can't – that mentality that we have in Boston, we have to be we great. We have to be on our game. We also had a cancer for your team in that series. But even still, we saw guys like Tatum right. and Jalen Brown become disengaged because of that. And if they were mature and played a strong competitive first round series, that laxness and those shots that Kyrie was taking wouldn't have been put up with. It would have been more vocal, but instead guys were like, we're quiet. We can bounce back. We can bounce back because I had that confidence from the first round, but they played a terrible team. And it would be the same thing if we played Brooklyn. That's why when we have a team like Brooklyn in the playoffs now, which I know the league can't boot them out, but with injuries like that and guys holding out, you got to find a way to get a team like that out of the playoffs because you're going to hold back a team like Toronto. Toronto, yes, they're not going to have a problem, but they're not going to be developed and trained. It's a practice. It's going to be like a scrimmage. No fans, no nothing, no engagement. It's going to become mundane, and anybody who gets a team like that in the first round is mm-hmm. going to have problems piecing it together in the second round, especially if they sweep, because then they're not having any live action games for up to two weeks after a four-month layoff. You are tuning in to the No Limit Jumper podcast, where there is no limit to what is talked about. Thank you for your support. And for more information, news, updates, and everything like that, please visit www.nolimitjumper.com or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at No Limit Jumper. Exactly. And that works into our favor too, The if, if it's set up that way, because we get Philly the first round, especially with Ben Simmons injured. If he really is out for that entire series, I mean, I mean, I don't want to jinx it, but you could basically chalk that one up. It's just not going to happen for the Sixers at that point. They're not going to play us well enough without Ben Simmons to beat us. It's just not going to happen. So we come out of that series, right? And it's still going to be competitive because they have good players. You know, they have Matisse Steibel. They have Joel Embiid. Um, they have Al Horford, obviously. They have good guys. But um, the Raptors would be coming off of the Nets, like you were just saying. An easy series. And we would be facing them in the second round. So we're coming off of facing one of our rivals, a tougher series. They're coming off of facing the Nets. I think we would be more primed to beat them and head into the Eastern Conference Finals than they would to beat us. And especially with no fans, because Toronto in the playoffs thrives off of that environment. Mm -hmm. And yes, they're thriving in the bubble and they're 4-0 right now and they're gritty. But the second that playoff switch is activated and players are in a different mindset and a different mode, you never know how stuff can change. Exactly. So this is why I think the Celtics, if they make it out of the East, they have a good shot at winning the championship. It's because of what you just said. You want them to play the Sixers. You want them to play the Raptors in the second round. And then obviously the Bucks come the third round. If they go through that tough road. Whew. Oh, my God. If they go through that and then play a team like, I don't know, the Clippers or the Lakers, I feel like they'll, they'll be able to, to, go, to go the length with the Lakers. And I don't even know if the Clippers are going to get out of the West just because of the way they're playing. And obviously they're playing through Paul George and Kawhi has been struggling. And they're trying to find their identity with who's going to start at the five. But I honestly feel like this Celtics team now, now that Kyrie is out of the picture, they can, like Aiden said, they're more mature now. They're more developed. 
to have a, a better sense of identity. Because yep. in reality, you have the whole season with Kyrie to going to the media saying, I'm glad I stayed here, and then making this and making that. Now that's gone. Now they can focus on the bigger picture. I really think this team has what it takes. And going, going into my next question for you guys is, obviously this team is good. What team – do you guys compare – what Celtics team in the past can you guys compare mm. to now? That's a really good question. Let, while you think, can I take this? Because I already have my go answer. Ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. There is no team in the history of the Boston Celtics that is like this one. Now, okay. I, I understand that that's insane to say, but I can't look back on history and think, even with the Parrish McHale – uh, Bird Celtics, even with the Sam Jones, Tommy Heinsohn guys. Those those are legendary, unique teams. Every Celtics team that has ever made a run has been unique. The 08 team, there's never going to be a team that embodies Kevin Garnett's energy, Rajon Rondo's or not, uh, yeah, Rajon Rondo's grittiness, his playmaking, Ray Allen's clutch shooting, Paul Pierce's embodiment of Boston. We will never have that again. But these guys we have now, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Kemba Walker, Ines Cantor, just want to throw them here because those are leaders in our community. We haven't really mm -hmm. had guys in the last 10 years since KG's left to have really embraced the city like that. And even still, even when we had Bird and McHale and guys like that, they weren't out marching in the streets of Boston when we had social justice issues. I mean, they, they're really connected with the city, with the town, with the culture. And I think in a way it makes this the first time. Okay. Sorry. It's something cut off and popped up on my screen, but it's the first time in a while that the Boston Celtics really embody the city. Yeah. This, this team, I can, you know, I've been sitting here thinking of all the, all the past teams trying to compare them and stuff, and, and I think you're completely right. This team is very, very unique, and I think this situation, this season itself is unique in its own way um, in general. Um, but I, I haven't liked or loved a Celtics team and really enjoyed watching every second of every game as much yep. since 2008. Yep. And it's just – I mean, every single game, I just I, – I sit there – on the edge of my seat, it's like I haven't felt that way about a team in a long time. And can you honestly tell me that if we go and we beat the Sixers, the Raptors, the Bucks, and then go on, say we face the Lakers, we get we beat the Lakers and LeBron in the finals at the same time, can you honestly say as a Celtics fan, anything would feel better than that? I mean, that would be one of the greatest playoff runs in NBA history, without a doubt. Just look at the teams. Look at the people that we would beat. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think with the climate of the world right now with coronavirus and everybody being locked up, it would mean so much for the city of mm. Boston that's been mm. damaged so much by COVID-19 and the destructions with even the storm, um, tropical storm, Arialis that passed through a couple of weeks ago. I know it did some damage up in the Northeast, you know, having these things that really unite the city. And I think really bringing a championship to Boston would mean so much for the entire New England area. Now, do you guys think that this team making the run this season with it being so unique, do you do you think this would be a one-time thing? Because obviously you got the Nets who are hurt. Kyrie and Durant are coming back. Um, the East is probably going to regroup itself and get revamped after the next season. Do you guys think that this is a one-time thing? That they're Abs oh. yeah. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. These guys are here for the long run. We just signed JB – to a nice long contract. We're going to give Tatum the max, okay? These guys are here to be Celtics for life, I believe. 
and I think that they should be, and I think that Danny A should do whatever he can to keep them because if, if we can keep those two guys in a nice core around them, uh, that's one of the best duos in the entire league and definitely, in my opinion, the best young duo right now. I mean, duos of players under 25, you're not going to find a, a better match. Um, I, I, I don't see any other team outlasting, you know, say in seven years, who's going to be better than the Celtics if they still have Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown? Who can you think of in the East who's going to still be there? KD won't be. Seven years? No way. In the long run, yes, I completely understand. We're going to have JB and JT. They are lifetime Celtics. They're bought into the system. They bought into the city. But for a championship-winning caliber team, that only comes around so often. And especially, like James said, with the East reloading next season and the issues that we have, we don't have the cap space to make moves. We don't have the draft assets that we've had. We don't really have the young assets because Romeo Langford's injury-prone, underperformed. Same thing with Robert Williams. And those are only really the good young pieces we have on our bench. So we don't we can't reload and we've seen this year even with injury issues we're a three seed once Gordon Hayward is he has two more years on his contract Kemba has three more I think we're a two to three seed without these guys and I think right now with the way the east is unfolding with the bubble it's our best shot to make a run for the title I don't think it happens next year or the year after and I think it's going to be a while before we see a team with this level of excitement that's going to be able to compete with the top tier eastern conference teams I agree that right now is the best time to, to make the push, but I, I kind of disagree about the fact that we can't reload. I mean, yes, Hayward, I think he has one year left. I think he's going to exercise his option this year, and then that's the last year is the player option, um, which he's going to suck up a lot of cap room with that. Um, but we still have a lot of picks, and we do have a lot of young talent. Like We could offload a lot of our bench, a lot of these picks, and we could have one of these championship teams with a bench full of – veteran guys who know what they're doing. I just don't think that's the way that Danny Ainge wants to do it. He wants to play the long game, which, you know, is okay at some point. But at the same time, I always am itching to, to have one of those teams like the Lakers or Clippers have, that they have an entire bunch full of guys that have that playoff experience, you know, have that leadership mentality versus a lot of young guys that I just feel like we're constantly building and building and building. So I feel like you're – oh, sorry, James, but let me oh, just get this right off. To a certain extent, you're right, but I feel like Ainge has been trying to make moves for the last year, year and a half, to try to improve bench depth, and nobody's biting. We don't have those young assets that we had in the past. Our picks aren't valued as high. Our young guys are struggling and aren't developing like Langford, like Carson Edwards. The only guy who's really shown improvement is Robert Williams. Yes, they've only been here for a year to two years, but they aren't going to be valuable assets next year or the year after that until they start showing us something. And to go off of Aiden is they have all these picks and they're not doing anything with it. I mean, we saw a few seasons ago where they just kept drafting guard after guard after guard. And we were just sitting there wondering what the hell is the game plan? What is Danny age doing? And then you look at a guy like Daniel Tice. Yes. He's a, he's a, he's a good fit for the organization. He's a good fit for the lineup. He's only having six and a half rebounds and he's undersized at that. So why not go after a guy you should have went after a guy like Clint Capella, but the Hawks went after him. I don't know why they didn't pull the trigger on AD. There's probably a, a, lot of, a lot of theories on why they didn't. You need a guy to hold down the paint, like you guys just said. Interior defense is the biggest problem, I believe, and I'm agreeing with Aiden, is the biggest problem they have. If you guys, if you, you guys, need to, if you guys can't get a guy who can hold down the paint consistently for 
30 to 35 minutes a game, then yes, this is the only opportunity you guys have because when the Nets get healthy, the Nets are going to be fucking scary. I'm so, apologize for my friends, but they're going to be fucking scary with Kyrie Durant and DeAndre Jordan. Down oh, there. not, not to mention that they also have young assets draft picks that they can move for a guy like Bradley Beal, CJ McCollum, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. The Nets, the Nets are going to be a very, very, very big problem for the next, I would say three years or so. Um, I, I will say the one thing about Tice, when you're saying the six and a half rebounds, we are top five in rebound percentage just as a team. So the, the you know, the way that we play defense, the way that it's set up, our big guys don't always, you know, grab in 10, 12 rebounds a game, but we are up there in, in terms of rebounds total as a team. Everybody else on our roster is above average with the exception of Kemba. Like Gordon Hayward grabs about 7-8. Right. Hayward yeah. – or Tatum grabs about 7-8. Jalen Brown, et cetera. But are you going to keep guys like Brooke Lopez, Giannis, uh, Robin Lopez at that off the glass? Are you going to put a body on these guys every possession down the court to contain them? You're not going to contain Giannis. Giannis is going to get you 14, 15 rebounds a game. So if you guys can't contain them, you guys aren't winning. Well, yeah, that's absolutely. the thing, but it's not about it's not about containing Giannis. It's never it's never about that when you're facing a team like the Bucks. It's about containing everybody else. Giannis is going to get his dude. He's one of the best players in the world. That's just what he does. Giannis is going to go out. He's going to get thirty and fifteen. I mean, you can try to stop it to to some extent, but at the end of the day, he's going to do whatever he wants. The best thing that you can do is slow down Middleton. Um, you know, slow down their bench score. Slow down Lopez when he comes in, but. You're not going to stop Giannis. That's just that's just it's just not going to happen. And that's the, the only, scary part about the book. Go ahead. That's the no. Scary the, the only thing or the only way the Boston Celtics can beat the Milwaukee Bucks is if they neutralize Chris Middleton and yep. Dante Vincenzo. If those two guys have a good series, we stand no chance of beating that team. And that goes on both ends of the floor because Dante Vincenzo is one of the best perimeter defenders in the league, and we don't even talk about it. You put him on Jalen Brown or Kemba Walker, they're going to have problems. We don't mention their defensive depth. Yes, they're going to struggle yep. offensively, but we got to lock down and neutralize those two guys and find a way to make them unaffected. And Middleton too. He, I would put him in the top top five for uh, wing defenders in the league. He's he's insane. I mean, people don't even don't even think about that. The fact that he, he might be better in terms of a two way player than than Tatum, right now at least. I mean, arguably Jimmy he, Butler. Yeah, when he when he plays against us, the dude shoots like ninety nine percent. So he's scary. I, I hate play, playing Middleton. I would rather them give the ball to Giannis every single time. Yeah. I mean, Chris Middleton averages 22, 50, 40, 90, and is a top yep. 10 perimeter defender in the league, and we don't talk about it. I mean, that yeah. guy on any given night could go give you 40 and lock down your best player. Yeah, just join the 50, 40, 90 club, and that does not happen often. So Exactly, especially for a wing guy. Right. So good news. I think popped up on, on here. Saying it got rid of our time limit, so we're just going to keep on going. Game awesome. six at nine. I'm honestly ready to just jump in a separate – Separate uh, video chat with you guys and just fucking watch the game because I'm I'm getting I'm not even <laughs> a Celtics fan. This brings me back to the days where me and Hunter were little, dude, and we would just watch the Celtics all day long. On dog, dog. We used to watch the Celtics versus the Hawks playoff series back when it was Josh Smith. Oh and my fucking God, Joe Johnson. The memories Jeff I have. The wait, hold on. What and, the two? Th why was it 2011 or 2012 when they played in the semis? Uh, that would uh, did we? When did we play them in the semis? 
No, we didn't play them in the semi. In the, the, you guys won on a championship run. You, we took you to seven. No, I think it was. No, the, but I was thinking after that, though. I'm thinking after that. There was a. It was the oh. one of the last years of KG, Ray Allen, and Paul Pierce, and Atlanta took us to six with yes. Josh Smith, Joe Johnson. It what? It wasn't quite the five All Star team. It was no. just before that. It was a couple years before that. Well, that was two. Yeah, because you guys yeah. were that 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 five All Star team was what 2014. Yeah. I think it was 50, yeah 2014 2015. That's 2015. Yeah, under Coach Bud. So you guys are essentially playing another Coach Bud team with the Bucks. Yes. Yeah, except yeah. instead of Josh Smith or Joe Johnson or Al Horford or whoever we really was on that team, you're focusing on one of the greatest offensive and defensive talents we'll probably ever see in an NBA uniform. And the thing does that tell you something? Hold on a second. Does that tell you something? The fact that he's coached both of those teams and that those Hawks teams never really went anywhere with that insane amount of talent, shouldn't that kind of tell you something? Those those Hawks team did not have an insane amount of talent. They were Dude. talented. Listen, they were a talented roster and they were a talented team. But did they have elite top tier, top five MVP, MVP winning caliber talent? Absolutely not. Joe Johnson at his peak was a top 20 player. Josh Smith at his peak was a top 25, 30 player. I'm not saying – I'm not putting numbers. I'm not saying he was 30, but I'm saying that was his peak. Giannis. Uh, I, Giannis, I Giannis is the – I can't, I, can't agree with, I can't agree with the Joe Johnson take. Yo, he oh, was, no, no. I'm not, say, I'm not saying, I'm not saying he's number 30. I'm not saying he's number 30 on that list, but I'm saying if he was ranked anywhere from like number 15 and number 30, that's not a bad ranking for um, – for uh, oh no, Joe Johnson. Joe Johnson was like I, I said. Joe Johnson top twenty. I'm saying Josh Smith was yeah. thirty to. 40. No, yeah, I agree with the Josh. Thirty Smith to twenty. Thing. Joe, Josh listen. Smith. I saw Joe as one of my favorite players of all time. I respect. I saw Joe. I saw I'm not, Joe. I'm, baby. I'm, I will never. He's still I will turning never up in big team. three. Exactly. So don't get. We could go. I could talk about this for a whole episode, dude. Don't get me started on Joe Johnson. No, but but honestly though, those series against against the Hawks. For some reason, to me, especially because James, you and I were, were, were like super best friends at the time, and you were a Hawks fan, so going back and forth with each other about the games, like I just man, I I loved those series. Those were the oh, best. Yeah. I used to get so nervous for those games, dude. Oh, talking so much trash to each other. But the thing is, though, is like that's why I love the Celtics so much because I grew up liking them, and I fell in love with another team. Obviously, watching it's crazy because I fell in love with the Hawks while the Celtics were on that championship run. It was crazy yeah. as it seems. But I just I, – I appreciate the Celtics so fucking much because, I mean, I idolize guys like KG and I idolize guys like Paul Pierce, Ray Allen, Rondo, freaking Leon Poe, Kendrick Perkins. But the thing is – Eddie House. Yes, sir. Yeah, Eddie House. Now we fast forward to now, and you need a guy like KG on your team to, to make you – consecutively contend doesn't exist doesn't exist the no, guy like kg exist. doesn't exist bro they will never be another kg dog but i need i need a guy who's vocally and mentally sound like kg someone who's gonna take over a game with his mouth talk on the floor talk on defense and i feel like marcus smart is probably the closest thing we don't have that on our roster, though. Marcus Smart, Marcus Smart is the closest thing to KG that we will ever get. Marcus Smart is the heart and soul of this team, just like KG was. That's just that's but just Mar the way it is. Marcus Smart isn't 
as good enough of a player to lead no. that entire roster, though. No, which – which Kemba is definitely the vocal leader for the first, you know, the first yeah. rotation of guys. I would, say, I would say, if anything, Kemba's a silent leader. He knows how to talk to guys on the side, but you're not going to hear Kemba Walker on the court hyping oh. guys up, getting them ready, getting them hyped up Listen, to play. There's really nobody Jason out there that does that. Vocal? You get Jason Tatum to be vocal, it's over. Yeah. No, I don't think Jason Tatum – I don't think Jason he doesn't Tatum have that will mentality ever be that, that type of player. He's, a, he's got a killer attitude. He's got that killer mentality, but I just don't think he's – in terms of, like, being a vocal leader, I just don't – that just doesn't seem like that's – if anything, it would be JB who would more yes, kind of come out of the cocoon and butterfly into that type of person. And I think you will see that in the next few years because he has been so impressive and consistent. I mean, it's just – I'm falling in love with him as a player even more than Jason Tatum recently. Can, can I – I'm going to say a hot take. Go ahead. Don't hate me for I know it. What, I know what you're going to say. Jalen Brown over Jason Tatum. I, listen, I'm not saying – that Jalen Brown is better. I'm saying he's a more consistent basketball player. He's a better defender, better playmaker, and he scores more efficiently. That's all I'm saying. Okay, so here's my thing with Tatum and Brown, and I and I do disagree, but I respect your take. And here's and the by way the way, I, this this is no knock on Jason Tatum. They're both amazing no, course, players. Right. They're both equally respected. Yeah. This for my personal preference, Jalen Brown is my guy, but if I was starting a franchise, JT, all the way, the guy's extremely talented. So, so here's the way that I look at it. I look at it almost as like a Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi type of thing, where Jason Tatum, I think, has more naturally pure talent to where his ceiling naturally is just higher, but JB, almost like the Ronaldo type, if he puts in that insane amount of work, he can reach the same levels but he's going to have to work harder to get there. But I think that he can. I think both of them, uh, you know, at the peak can be pretty much the same player. If you look at the way that they play, look at the way that JB has changed the way that he's played this season, becoming more shifty, uh, in- increasing the, uh, his dribbling, um, his free throw percentage has gone up a lot this year. Um, and-, and they're both insane two-way players. They both can score and they both can defend any position on the floor. So I think they're both amazing. I think Tatum is better right now. I think that if the trajectory continues the way that it is, that he'll be better. But I think if JB can really turn it into the next gear and work almost on that like LeBron James type level, that he can be at the same at the same level as as Tatum. And I think going back to that mentality conversation is the second that Jalen Brown switches switches makes that switch mentally. I think that's when it's game over, when he starts to be vocal on the court and commanding because he's a leader in the communities. He's been a leader his entire life off the basketball court. And the only reason why I think he doesn't have that voice is because of the way he's developed as a person on the court. I don't think coaches really allowed Jalen Brown to be Jalen Brown. I mean, you watch his tape at Cal. It's a completely different player, completely different play style. You look at his tape in high school, completely different player, completely different play style. He's really – developed into his own player now and I think like I said if he makes that mental switch that's when we're going to see his game go from really good to elite I think the let me just jump in real quick I just want to add one more thing I think the only reason that we haven't seen that from him so far and I think this that this could present issues in future years is because so much hype has been built around Tatum that I think out of respect Jalen Brown is trying not to step on his toes in a way 
and 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 kind of assert himself and alpha dog himself to the top because that's the issue that we had last year with Kyrie. Everybody wanted to be the alpha dog. Everybody wanted to be, you know, the big guy on the team. Everyone wanted to show their stuff. And I think Jalen smartly is letting Tatum have his year, have his hype. But I think come next year, you're going to see a different mentality from Jalen Brown because he didn't make the all-star team this year. Jason Tatum did, and they both wanted it bad. So you're going to see Jalen Brown come out next year with a different type of mentality, a different type of grind. I, I truly believe that. So I'm excited to see what he does. Absolutely. How do, you, how do you control the two? Obviously, what you just said, he doesn't want to step on Jason Tatum's toes. How are you going to get the ball out of Tatum's hands and into Jalen Brown's, especially when Tatum gets into a rhythm, but then he misses a couple shots. But there's some games where he'll just keep taking shots and shoot himself out of the quarter or shoot himself out of, out of that time span. Whereas Jalen Brown, yeah, he's more efficient and he's more poised at it. So it, it's, it kind of relies on Brad Stevens and how he's going to run this, play him at different times. Obviously, you want them both in the starting lineup, but do you play him at different points in the game? Uh, do you run different sets for each other? It's just I don't see, I don't see how the ball is going to come out of Tatum's hands, especially when it's late game, especially when they're, where the, their possessions where they need the value. I just don't see the ball getting out of his hands. Here's what I'll say. Yeah, so this is what – yeah, this is the other night when we just played – who was it that we uh, uh, we played late the other night? We won um, – Brooklyn. Nope, before that. Heat? Before, before the Heat, after the Bucks. I can't remember. Cricket's Why out. can't I remember who we played? Cricket's out here. Somebody – I need somebody to – I need someone to look that up for me. But anyways – uh, the end of that game, Jason Tatum in the fourth quarter, Jalen Brown had something like 18 points or something like that. And, oh, Portland. Yep. Uh, Jalen Brown had something like 18 points in the fourth quarter. Now, if you go back and look at, at that game, Jason Tatum had eight assists. Six of those assists were to Jalen Brown. They mesh together really well in the court. I think they always have. If you go back and look at our original playoff run that we had when uh, Jason Tatum was a rookie, we made it all the way to seven games with LeBron. Um, when Kyrie was out. I think they do mesh together really well. I just think that Jason Tatum made such a huge leap this year that it's kind of J- – Jalen Brown took a little bit more time to get to where he is right now that they need to kind of uh, mix – I, I, it's hard to explain, but you, if you get what I'm saying, like they were ascending at the same rate. Now they're kind of not. So I think in due time they'll be fine. I don't think there's any issues there. I don't think that they – have any animosity towards each other i think that they both really like each other the chemistry is all there i just think it's going to take a little bit of time for them to both really blossom into superstars but if you look at teams like the rockets you look at teams like the clippers you look at teams like the lakers these are all teams with duos of players that play together on the court pretty much all the time um and they mesh together fine and they play perfectly well together so i don't see it causing us any issues in the long term yeah and i was uh, just kind of to hop on that is I think the reason why we haven't seen Jalen Brown be more aggressive is because he has to share the ball with Kemba Walker and Gordon Hayward. And I think as we see our vets slowly start to leave and Jalen Brown kind of hits 25, 26 in the prime of his career. And if we don't get that explosion next year, we're going to get it once these guys are off the roster and those shots are going to be going to him. And it's all about the timing and the system. And the second that clicks and Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown become their own duo, that's when I think we're going to see JB and JT really click and elevate to an even higher level. Yeah, once uh, once Kemba and Hayward 
are no longer on the team. And it's because, yeah, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, realistically, if you look at the production, they're pretty much one and two in terms of scoring. Um, obviously, Kemba was, I would say, number two, but he's been he's been injured. He's been on a minutes restriction, so I'm putting JB at the number two for right now. Um, once those guys actually leave and there's not another 40 points being taken up by another two players, I mean, I think you're going to really see Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum possibly being a duo that both almost averages 30 points a game. I think it really could happen. Yeah, I mean, I can see it. And kind of to wrap up things because we're coming on the hour mark. Um, I the Celt- I, one, one of the reasons why I love the Celtics so much is – because the way they run the offense through uh, Jason Tatum. And another reason is they're so disciplined. If you watch them play, they run their sets to the T. And it, all, it just seems like it's, it just runs so smoothly. And I love how Tatum's bringing it back to the Kobe days because I love that style of basketball. I, I just love it. And I feel like, like I said before, the Celtics team has the talent and has the heart to be an NBA to be NBA champions this year. And it's also more interesting is we had a shortened season. Going into this season, you didn't know who was going to win because the Warriors were completely destroyed. Durant wasn't coming back this season. Uh, you didn't really know what the Clippers were going to bring to the table. We didn't know how the Lakers are going to match. And now I'm seeing in the bubble that anybody can shit. The Suns are 4-0 right now. So, TJ Warren's going off for 53. Yep. So, the Celtics are losing. The Lakers are getting beat, blown out by the Thunder. And, and <laughs> yep. it's crazy. I honestly, lost to the Nets. I'll go on record right now and to end things off is I don't know who the hell is going to win the NBA championship. And just for the record, at the end of last season and after Kyrie left and we got Kemba, the highest that anybody thought that we were going to end up is like maybe a second round team. Now people are talking about us being a championship contender. That in itself, I think is a success. If you go back and look at where the season started, I think overall, if we end up making it, you know, Eastern conference finals, it is a success. I would love to see us make it to the finals, but at the end of the day, I'm just happy that the NBA is back. I'm happy that we get to see the playoffs and I'm super excited for playoff basketball. And I'm also sick and tired of hearing, oh, we'll put the Celtics in the West. All right, so do one through 16 and then have them play like that. Have uh, them- I would just like to point out, I would just like to point out, because I've argued endlessly with people about this, the East has a winning record against the West this season for the first time in God knows who, how long, but they have a winning record against the West. So nobody can bring up this, oh, the West is so much better than the East. It's just not true anymore. It's just not. The bottom feeders in the Eastern Conference are worse than the bottom feeders yes, in the West. But enough. the top the top tier talent and the team cohesiveness is in the Eastern Conference and that's why we're able to beat up on the West. And I'm yeah. and I take don't take beat out, out of context, but the Eastern Conference really has the ability and need for Eastern Conference teams have more cohesion, have more chemistry than teams on the West Coast, which is why we see these teams succeed now against Western Conference teams. And we're, we'll more than likely see that in the finals this year. I agree. A lot of those teams on the West are new teams. I mean, you look at the Lakers, brand new team. Look at the Clippers, brand new team. Uh, Rockets, brand new team. Thunder, brand new team. Whereas you look back at the East, 
Bucks have been pretty much the same core roster for a few years. Raptors have had the same core roster for a few years. Celtics, Sixers, uh, you know, same thing. The only team that you could say really not is is the Heat. Um, and by the way, I am also worried about the Heat. I will say that I think they're my dark horse for this season. If they can end up beating, uh, I think they would get the Bucks in the second round if they win in the first round. Uh, and I think that they could beat the Bucks if they beat the Bucks and in the second round and they make it to the Eastern Conference Finals. I would be not happy to see them there. <laughs> Yeah, um, and I will say this just to kind of close it off, uh, to kind of pop on the Heat bandwagon for a second. But I think the Heat go as far as Bam Adebayo go and, uh, goes, and I think that Eric Spolstra really needs to open up the game for him. I mean, we saw it when he was playing Boston. He had the ball in his hands, amazing shooter from the mid-range. He showed us uh, in the skills competition that he can shoot. You watch Heat practices. He has a three-point jumper. If we allow his game – or if Coach Bo allows his center to play like a point forward, that team can be legitimately dangerous. Because if you have Bam on the perimeter and guys running around him – backdoor cuts, backdoor screens, way Miami knows how to play, and Bam's not clogging up the paint, that team can be legitimately one of the best offensive teams in basketball. The best three-point shooting team in the league, and they're already a top-five defense. I mean, that team is definitely scary if they can really figure out um, an offense that, you know, can work consistently. And they had our defense running for loops when we were facing them. I mean, it was bad. Yeah, I mean, they have – uh, a team that's 12, 11, 12 deep. And you're not going to see that on pretty much any other, ro- any other roster besides maybe Oklahoma city. So, yeah. well, there you have it. Uh, the NBA is wide open this season. Don't know what's going to happen. Love the bubble. Love the feel this season. Guys, it's been a pleasure. I always love talking Boston Celtics, especially with one of my closest friends, Hunter, and my co-director of operations beside me, Aiden Hawkins. Like I said, no limit jumper is proudly sponsored by Excel Health. Uh, Please visit the website for more information. And guys, it's been a pleasure. Likewise, man. Go Celtics, baby. Let's go.